welcome back to the Your Journey to Happiness podcast. My name is Angelo Quibelli, and today's season one, episode 19, The Big Six O. That's right, yesterday was my 60th birthday, and I had a great day, and I want to share it with you, and I want to share some other updates with you because it's been a while that I uh, did a podcast episode. So anyway, so yesterday I turned 60, and I know for those, for my two listeners that have been loyal to me for uh, the last, I guess, year, know that when I was 59, I was very excited because I wanted <laughs> I wanted to spend my 60th birthday in Italy, but, uh, you know, life happens. Well, actually, not life happens, I just didn't have the money to do it. I, um, I had to buy a zero-turn mower for the property a few months ago, so that was my Italy trip, but I'll get there. I'll get there. I still had a great day, though. Um, I'm in my cabin in Virginia, and I'm at, I'm at my cabin in Virginia this week. I flew in uh, last Sunday night to Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, and my older boy, who's living in Winston-Salem right now, he picked me up with my truck that I've been letting him use for the last two years. He picked me up with my truck and um, uh, did a little shopping for him, dropped him off at his apartment. He didn't need the truck. In fact, he doesn't need it probably for the next two weeks or so. Um, so, and then I just drove back. I just drove to the hotel in Winston-Salem. The goal for the week was to, as soon as possible, hit the ground running as of last Monday morning and find a car for him in, in the cheapest lease possible on the market for him. Because he's in Winston-Salem right now. He's not in, you know, he's not at the cabin. He, we don't, you know, he doesn't need the big truck. He never really liked it. I mean, he loved it, but he always complained it was too big anyway for him. Whatever. Um, I desperately need it. But now that I'm on the property, you know, I'd say half time at this point, I really need that truck here on the property. Uh, my Mercedes isn't, my little Mercedes coupe isn't cutting it. And uh, plus I, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but plus I, um, I, I need my truck for, for everything else as well. Um, especially out here in Virginia, the Mercedes with New York places and cutting it. So last week I had, I was in New York and I turned, I sold my Mercedes back to Mercedes. I do, you know, I didn't know that they, they'll buy the car back. I thought you always had to like trade it in, get something else. Maybe because the, um, the stock both pre-owned and new is so, is, is so short right now that, um, they'll, they'll take it back because they bought it back. At a huge loss, of course, but you know what? It, it, I, I, it wasn't as much as I love that car. It was such a beautiful car. Um, I, um, it just, it's just not practical for my, for what's going on right now in my life. It's just not. And I can't afford to keep both, which I would love the truck and the Mercedes, but I, yeah, that's crazy. I can't afford both. So anyway, I sold, I sold back the Mercedes, and the idea was to fly here, get him a car, get my truck back. So. Um, I actually did it one day, just like when I got him this truck, when I flew down to Florida after he had his accident and told his Jeep, my, my older boy, I, I found a car in one day and I, I was shocked because it's so much harder to do that today because there are no cars. So Monday morning, I got up early because I always do. And I went to, I, I ended up the whole morning, I went to every dealership in Winston-Salem, every kind of car dealership you could think of. And some of them, at least two of them, I just pulled into the lot and they literally had no cars and like no salespeople. I didn't even get out of the car. So anyway, so I went to Hyundai 
because that's what he was interested in, the Hyundai Elantra, which I thought was great because that's a very inexpensive car. I went to Hyundai in Winston-Salem. They had nothing. Put it this way, instead of wasting time, there was not one dealership in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, that had a car on the lot, brand new, available to lease. Anything there that was brand new, it was it was like pre-ordered. Somebody already had their name on it. In fact, only one car, it was that Toyota. It was a Toyota Camry, absolutely loaded, way too much than my son needed and way too much that I wanted to get involved in. But that was the only car that was there available because whoever whoever ordered chickened out or decided to go with something else. But you know what? That wasn't that wasn't a good deal. And then it were, you know obviously there were a few pro, very even very limited pre-owned vehicles available like there was a pre-owned hyundai elantra i guess a couple years old that i don't know i just you know so anyway so I, after spending like two hours going to the five different dealerships in winston-salem i went back to the hotel and now that i was a little more educated on on what was available maybe i had to go pre-owned possibly instead of lease i did a little more research of the surrounding area so i did find a uh what was a Nissan Sentra CV model CV trim available for lease and a hun- and a few Hyundai Elantras uh, supposedly a hybrid and some other base model Hyundai Elantras and maybe a few steps up both in the town of High Point North Carolina which is just I think like 20 minutes away from Winston-Salem so I grabbed my son at 1.30. We went, we got to High Point, whatever, by 2. Went to the Hyundai dealer first. And thank God. And you know what, too? Even though the websites say in stock or in transit, when you get there, I learned, too, it's a different story. No, we don't really have any. Or, yeah, it's it sold yesterday. You know, this, uh, that's, how, that's how bad it is these days. So thank God um, at the Hyundai uh, dealership in uh, High Point. They had a beautiful base model Hyundai Elantra in a beautiful candy apple red, black interior, not leather, like cloth, which is actually better, especially in this hot weather here in the South. Um, and it had black rimmed wheels, which and with the car, I, I tell you, the car was hot, without a doubt. Very hot. He was happy with it, and the lease was very affordable. I put 3000 down for him, and I paid... Uh, and that covered like the first payment, and his payments are going to be three forty a month for a thirty-six month lease. Uh, that includes gap insurance, which is great, and two free oil changes and t- two, two two free tire rotations. And um, what else? Like that phone app that you could open, shut, lock, lock the car doors and stuff. That was f- for free for the whole lease, the three-year lease. So it's a nice car. It's great for him. I even paid his insurance. I put it on a credit card. It was like. Now he finally has insurance in his name, which is great. And that was like 360 or something for the first payment. The idea is that he, because he's, he's supposed to be starting work in a few weeks. And the idea is that he's going to take over. You know, worst comes to worst, if I got to suck it up, I mean, whatever, I'll do it. But I really got to get this kid off my payroll. So, but I got it affordable so he can take it over with just, you know, hopefully a, a decent job, right? But anyway, I got him the keys by 5.30 that day on Monday. You got to love it. Um, went back to the hotel Monday night. I stayed the other night. I booked the hotel for like three nights. So I told them Monday night. I said, listen, I don't need three nights. I'll just stay the two. Sunday, Monday. They were cool. 
Um, and uh, the next day, I, you know, did a little shopping at Costco there in Winston-Salem. Because that's the nearest Costco to my cabin. Is uh, Winston-Salem. Well, I, well no, nah, I guess Roanoke is. But whatever, I'm already there, so I stocked up. And you know what I tell you? I mean, I mentioned this before. Costco and Sam's Club, they have a great wine selection. Oh, my God. This Costco in Winston-Salem, they had my old-time, one of my old-time favorite wines, Juan Gill, or Juan Hill, but it's Juan Gill, G-I-L. It's 100% Monastrell. It's a full-body Spanish red, red from the Jumila region of Spain. An outstanding full-body wine, uh, red wine, Spanish wine. And if you're into wines, I highly recommend it. In New York, that's a $16 bottle of wine. Would you believe Costco had it for 12 like $12.49? I bought a case of it. I bought 12 of them. It was crazy. And then I tried two others that, um, two other, you know, I always like to try a new wine to increase my palate. So I tried some um, uh, Bodegas Rioja and this other one, I think Duza, D-O-U-S-A, Duza Red Ca- uh, Cabernet, which was pretty good. Uh, the Rioja was okay, too. Um, and so I just stocked up like a madman with the wine, which was good. And then I went back to the cabin and I just started like cutting grass and fishing and just enjoying. And so anyway, so yesterday was my birthday. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. 60 years old and loving it because I'm just like, you know, I'm in great shape for 60. You know, I, I'm, I'm at peace with myself. I love my life. I love life in general. You know, I'm good with God. I mean, really, I'm, my health is good. It's It doesn't get any better at, at 60 right now, honestly. So what I do yesterday, yesterday I treated myself to, uh, I took a ride. It was like an hour and a half to get from my cabin in Meadows of Dan to, um, I took it like a slower, more scenic route to, um, what do you call it? Not Taswell. Marion, Marion, Virginia, and from Marion, I could get on Route 16 North, actually, I, got, I was able to get onto Route 16 in Mouth of Wilson, Virginia, and then once I got to Marion, 16 North becomes the back of the dragon, not the tail of the dragon, which is in um, North Carolina and Tennessee, this is the back of the dragon, and, um, I, you know, I've, I've wanted to do it since I since I moved here last year. Never had a chance. I figured my birthday is a great opportunity to do it. It was a great day, you know, nice and clear. And uh, as I was getting close to marrying, you know, it started raining, but it only rained for like three minutes. You know, for a second I was gonna turn back. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not gonna be a you know be a be you know will be what whatever. I'm gonna suck it up and and see maybe it'll change. You know, because rain here in the mountains, it could rain for two minutes and then stop, or it could rain for three days, right? So, you know, whatever. Worst comes to worst. If it was still, if it was still pouring in Marion, I would have just, whatever, gassed up and taken a slow ride home on the highway. But it cleared up by the time I got to Marion. So at Marion, 16 North turns into the back of the dragon, and it goes right to Tazewell, Virginia. This is the southwest corner of Virginia. The state of Virginia is like, like picture a college pennant, like a university or team pennant, the flag. Southwest Virginia, that southwest corner is that point of the pennant. And there you could go, it borders North Carolina, Tennessee, and shoot, is it West Virginia? Not Kentucky. I forget. 
But it's definitely Tennessee, definitely North Carolina. I forget what the third state is. It might be West Virginia. Um, so as soon as I got to Marion, it, it was cleared up. It was fine. I got on this back of, dra back of the dragon, which was a lot of twisties and all this horse shit. You know what? I got to tell you, it was just, I mean, I'm glad I did it because now I could say, yeah, I did the back of the dragon. And then, of course, when you get to Tazewell, they had the store there, the back of the dragon, B-O-T-D, the back of the dragon, where you could buy a $50 T-shirt and a $2, uh, $20 belt buckle and if you wanted or just use the bathroom like I did for free, you know. And well, there was all Harley Davidson guys with their girls and all that, and hanging out. I mean, this was in the afternoon, you know, like 1:30 in the afternoon. Um, you know, it wasn't really much to speak of. The town of, of Marion looked like it was a cute little town. Tazewell didn't look like it was anything special, to be honest. I mean, I gotta tell you though, as a motorcycle rider, I I don't even think it's worth it. Maybe you know, maybe the tail of the dragon. You know, honestly, I wouldn't even do the tail of the dragon. Unless for some reason I was with somebody and they really wanted me to. But other than that, I would not go out of my way to do the tail of the dragon. You know what? Because if it's anything like the back of the dragon, all it is is these do these dopey twisties that, I swear to God, I was in like third and second gear the whole time because some of these hairpin twisties, well, you had to be in second gear. You know, not first, obviously, but second. And it was just, I don't know, it, was just, it wasn't fun. I got to be honest with you, it wasn't fun. I mean, I enjoyed doing it, but it wasn't fun. I wouldn't do it again. I didn't go back down it. I went up it or whatever. I went one way. I didn't go back the other way. I didn't feel a need to because I didn't enjoy it the first time. It was like, it wasn't enjoyable. It was like, it was like you know, negotiating each turn so you don't die. Like, it was stupid. Like, that wasn't fun for me. It really wasn't, you know, and, and, um, and, and the twisties were so um, close together that, like, you couldn't even set up for it, so it wasn't. It, honestly, it wasn't fun. You know, it was really fun. Believe it or not, on the way on the way back to my cabin, again, I didn't want. I just I guessed up. I didn't want to do the back of the dragon again, so I took whatever I, I put in GPS for the fastest route. And of course, it put me on. I think it was Highway 77, right? Um, on south, maybe. Yeah, south. So, but what was really what was really great, and I'll, I'll, I'll probably do a video on this on my TikTok, but to show the difference, but. I end up on routes. Once I got out of uh, the main town of Tazewell, it put me on this route 614, Virginia 614, and that took me to um, Highway 77. That route 614 was so much more fun than the back of the dragon. You know why? Because and I've and I found this and I found routes like this before, off these major like motorcycle routes. They're so much more fun. Anyway, in in particular, this 614. It was fun because you know what? It was it was a lot of there were I wouldn't say twisties, but there were nice turns. Like like you remember skiing? If you ever skied or watched snow snow skiing on TV, and you saw like a slalom, like the slalom uh, competitions, but not so short slaloms. Like these were more spread out, where you really had time to to hit one, set up nicely for the next one. So that's how this was. This was such a nice setup. All the turns were spread out, where I had time to set up. I had time, and it was enjoyable. I was basically trail breaking through all these turns. Like in other words, I was in fourth or fifth gear the whole time, and I'll probably up to sixth sometimes, you know. But I was really in fourth or fifth the whole time, and just trail breaking. Very, I think maybe once or twice I had to go down to third gear. Maybe once or twice. For the most part, I was in fourth and fifth. I, I could say I think it's fair to say I was in fourth. You know, on average, I was in fourth, just trail breaking, trail breaking into the turn, and to me, that's so much more fun. 
and for you people that ride, I think you understand what I'm talking about. Hopefully, you're trail braking, you know what I'm talking about. And you're not just braking by downshifting, engine braking. That's not a smooth ride, it's not safe. You know, sometimes, yeah, you gotta hit it, but you know, that's just not safe. If you could trail brake into your turns, that's safer. And I spoke about this before because, again, the clutch is out. You're not, the clutch is not in, the clutch is out, so your transmission is engaged and you have traction. And you're going lightly on your front and rear brakes into that turn. And when you feel good, like you got this, like you're not going to hit the guardrail or go off the cliff, then you 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 throttle right out of that brake. Out of you know you throttle out of the turn. That's what trail braking is. And you could touch the the rear brake a little bit too, for a nice smooth trail braking, a nice smooth break into it, right? Um, so anyway, so that was so much more enjoyable. And then I um, got back to the cabin around like five. I mowed some of the property uh, with my zero turn because uh, I got to get that done because I got to go back to New York um, uh, like I think Sunday. I got two weeks worth of work on Long Island and I need the money so bad right now. So um, so anyway, so I, I, I mowed, mowed some of my, um, one, of my, one of my other fields, my upper field, I guess you could say. It's a five-acre field. I did about a third of it. And then, uh, then I did some fishing, and by now it was like, I don't know, 7.30, 8 o'clock, and it started getting dark. This was the latest I ever fished on my own pond, and it was so cool. I was just sitting on, like, on my kayak fishing in the pond, and two deer, two does were like just in, really just in front of me in, in the part of the field there by the pond where I have some blueberry bushes, and they were just feeding, and it was so nice to see. It really was. But... I caught a monster last night, and uh, I even did a video for my birthday on on uh, TikTok um, for how what a great day I had yesterday. But um, I caught a monster bass. Oh my god, unbelievable! You know. And then I went back to the cabin. You know, had a little cigar and bourbon on the porch. And actually, I had the did I have the cigar and bourbon before I went fishing? Yeah, I did. I did. I had, after I mowed and was taking a break on my porch. That's when I had my cigar and bourbon. And when I was fishing, I had like uh, a little nub left of my cigar. I had a few puffs left while I was fishing on a kayak. So it was, you know, in my opinion, it was a great night, a great day, great night. You know, um, after fishing, came back to the cabin, had a little bit of wine, relaxed. I mean, it was, it was a really good day. But I want to give you an update because um, last, uh, let's see. So I was in I was in New York for like the last two weeks working my ass off, and and it was tough when I didn't have a car. I had to borrow a car, but I got through it. And um, but anyways, prior to that, I was at the cabin um, for a week because I did a training course here in Virginia. I um, I'm now uh, it's not licensed or certified. It's called registered. I'm now a registered private investigator with the state of Virginia. That means I'm registered with Department of DCJS, which is that Department of Criminal Justice System in Virginia. Well, Virginia doesn't license or certify PIs. Connecticut's the same way that you register with DCJS. So I took this six-day course like three weeks ago, passed it with flying colors. I got like two questions wrong on a test, only because I rushed it. I had to be the first one finished. You know, I couldn't wait to get out of here. It was a six-day class. So anyway, so that Monday, well, anyway, let me preface it to say this. 
So the idea was, if you listen to my probably my last few episodes, was I'm trying to, to generate money here in Virginia while I'm here. And I want to try and stay here as, more, as much as possible because I don't want to leave the cabin vacant. I don't want people poaching my land hunting or breaking into the cabin. Um, you know, my property, you know, it's a nice property. It needs upkeep and you got to be here to do that, you know. So it kind of went to shit when only my son was here last fall and winter. And I don't want that to happen again. And I want to start developing my property in some way because it is a beautiful property. So um, anyway, so I took this course to uh, to be to become a PI to generate some work that way. But even prior to that, like a few months ago, I reached out to this guy on LinkedIn. I don't know if I said anything to you guys about this, but I reached out to this guy on LinkedIn that I guess had like a private investigative or security firm nearby in Blacksburg, Virginia, where Virginia Tech is, which is only I don't know, maybe 45 minutes from me. So I reached out to him on LinkedIn and I said, listen, I'm you know I'm, I retired from New York. I'm in the area now. If you need a good investigator, just let me know. And he, and he got back to me. said, oh, yeah, okay, I'll, whatever, I'll be in touch. It turns out he's more of a security guy, um, which is fine because um, it, 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 it's better action. I'll tell you why. So, so for the next three weeks, I think I was in New York doing some work, right? Prior to the PI course, I was, I was in New York for like two weeks just trying to do crazy cases to make some money. And... Um, and I saw he posted, this guy posted something on LinkedIn about like starting some kind of active shooter training or something like that. You know, this is in the, in the wake of the Uvalde massacre in, uh, in Texas where, it, where the, most of the cops did nothing with that active shooter situation. So I, 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 you know, messaged the guy, you know, I didn't respond to the post. I messaged the guy directly. And I said, you know, I just want to remind you that, you know, as a as a former U.S. postal inspector, we were the first criminal, were the first law enforcement agency to train in active shooter drills, like 20 years ago, because you know the active shooter situations started with postal, with a guy with a, an employee going postal in a facility, usually the bigger facilities, not just the postal office, but like the bigger distribution centers, things like that. So, well, the plants, whatever you want to call them. So that we were training in that in the diamond patterns and whatnot, you know, 20 years ago. So I, I reminded him that he goes, and I even forgot what he said, like, okay, okay, whatever, good to know. I forgot what he said. I don't remember. And then, uh, and then like the next day, I see that this guy's given a course at one, like in Virginia, in my area of Virginia, let's say Roanoke, right? There are only three, three like schools that give training sanctioned training by DCJS, whether it's a PI course, whether it's just a firearms handling, whatever it is, you know, um, security, stuff like that. And they, they're usually, two of them are, well, at least one of them is one of, is one of the gun store and gun ranges called SafeSide. Um, the other one is not a range, but it's a school like where I took my PI course. And then I think there's a third one that might just be a school, like a building, right? So I saw this guy from Blacksburg, he posted something about he's got he's giving a training class at SafeSide in you know in the next couple of months for executive protection, you know being a bodyguard. And I always kind of wanted to get into that because I mean I did take the executive uh, what do you what do you call it dignitary protection um, training program when I was an NYPD detective to do all the dignitaries that came into the city. 
Slater had that training, which was good. So I thought maybe that'd be something that I'd like to get into. And I didn't realize, I, mean, I heard this training for it, but I just didn't do the research. And um, so anyway, so he, he gives this course. So um, so I, I signed up for it. And I think between that and the PI stuff, I think I'm going to have no problem making money, you know, while I'm in Virginia. So anyway, so now Monday of this class, right, this PI class like two weeks ago, right, or three weeks ago. Monday morning, the course, I think, started at, it was, I think it was at 9 o'clock, something like that, or 8 o'clock, and we're waiting for everybody to show up. There's only six guys in the class, five or six guys, right? It was me and, like, five, four other country bumpkins, right? One, two, yeah, me and four other country bumpkins. Three from Southwest Virginia and one from, uh, I guess, um, like, Lynchburg. So, uh, <laughs> they're nice guys, though, real nice guys. And the instructor was a cool guy prior, uh, law enforcement prior I mean he claims he was a he did work with DEA as an agent it just I don't know it just sounded odd the way he was saying it but anyway you know like like I don't know why he left like it, didn't, it made no sense to me you know I don't know if it was I, I said to myself oh, were you an analyst because if he was an agent he wouldn't be teaching this PI course you know anyway well that doesn't matter the point is a good guy got some you know I think a local PD experience apparently some DEA experience and uh, and and some PI experience, and uh, and lastly the course I didn't I mean I didn't learn anything from this course I don't need to learn how to investigate, but it does help though to know that what you can or cannot do in Virginia because every state's different so it is interesting because you know it was weird he kept in the course they were doing a lot of criminal law stuff and I didn't get why, and I you know I finally asked and and the, and the guy said that um. You know, I guess in, I guess during doing a private investigation, you may come across evidence, you know, for an ongoing case. I don't know, whatever. So I just, you know, I just did what I had to do. I, I paid attention anyway. It didn't matter. But anyway, the point is, so Monday morning class starts, right? I'm at class nice and early. I get a text message from a, a local number. I didn't, it wasn't in my contact, so it was just a number. And the guy's like, oh, Joe, are you licensed to carry in Virginia or North Carolina? No, he said, are you licensed to carry in North Carolina? I said, yeah, I have a carry permit in Virginia that covers, you know, Carolina, Georgia, and South Carolina, and Florida, and some other states. And I said, I have a Connecticut carry also. He says, okay, because I need, I, can, I need guys in, in the Raleigh-Durham section of North Carolina this week, or for the next two weeks, something like that, for some kind of security or threat situation. I said, well, I'm in the, the PI class right now in Roanoke. He goes, oh, you're in Roanoke this week? I said, yeah. He goes, all right, let's have lunch. So I said, okay, I guess he was living nearby, right? So I met the guy on my lunch break. I was only eight minutes away from downtown. I met the guy for lunch, and we hit it off right away. I think he's 62, in great shape, Italian guy. His parents were from Brooklyn. And I guess at some point the dad moved out here to Roanoke, and that's where he was born. So he's Italian, but, you know, not for New York. Not that it matters. I'm just saying. And we hit it off. What a nice guy. He's probably military. And he owns this company that where he's doing... It's really just executive protection. Apparently, he's well-known. He's got some, you know, prior military guys in it. He's got prior detectives in it, former detectives in it. I think I maybe active guys, too. And he seems like the real deal. Like, he's not full of it. I could tell right away. And by his posts and things like that, he seems like he's not all smoke and mirrors, that he's got a legit thing going. 
and apparently does a lot of executive protection in, in you know, the surrounding area here. Uh, I guess even in New York. I think he said in D.C. He does a lot of stuff in D.C. He does the Saudi family or the Saudi princess family when they come into D.C. Supposedly. But you know what? I kind of I believe the guy. He doesn't seem he didn't strike me as he was full of it. You know. So we just hit it off. Had a quick lunch, half hour lunch, and he says, you know, and I and he knows I'm taking his class. He's like, oh, I can't wait for you to take take my class. I got a lot of work for you. This and that. You know, and again, he, he even wanted me to work this week in, in I mean, that week at, the, at that time, that week in Raleigh Durham, right? And then, <laughs> so we hit it off great. So that, that worked out good. It was a great contact, a good guy to meet. And um, so he, um, I think it was thir- Thursday or Friday, the guy hit, yeah, Thursday or so, he texts me again. I'm in this class, right? He says, oh, could you do... I still need help in, in Raleigh Durham. Could you come this Friday and Saturday night? I said, I got my test this Saturday. He goes, ah, don't worry about it. Tell them, you know, tell them you're probably law enforcement. They'll, they'll, they'll let you get out of it. I didn't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. You know, I wanted to finish the class out. So, um, but apparently this guy's got work. You know, so it was just good to know. It was good to meet him. You know, I mean, um, you know, you got look, if there's something, if you're looking to improve, if you're looking for change, in your life here's where it gets topical if you're looking for changes in your life obviously for the better you want to be happier right your journey to happiness right and whether it's relationships or work or starting a business you got to kind of stick your neck out there you gotta you know you gotta you can't have that head in the sand approach you can't be like that turtle that if you're scared you put you, you retract your head into the shell you got to stick yourself out you stick your neck out there and, you know, I know it could be a little scary. I mean, look, bottom line is this. The more self-aware you are, the less insecure you're going to be. And the more willing you are to stick your neck out. Again, whether it's a relationship, whether it's work, whether it's whatever. So, I'm very self-aware now. I spent the last nine years becoming uber self-aware. And... I'm at a good place right now. I know who I am. I know who I am right now in relation to being retired, things like that, and and wanting to spend some time in Virginia, things like that. Well, really, I'm open to any area in America or even overseas. But I, again, I'm self, very self-aware right now. I've always been very secure with myself. So I'm, you know, uber self-aware right now, uber uh, secure right now myself. And so I've been sticking my neck out you know, retreating out to people. That's what you got to do. So it was good. Like I reached out to this guy, this guy that owns the um, executive protection thing, you know, and it, it's going to pay off a hundred percent. It's going to pay off. And, and then even, you know, and then even during this PI class, right on Wednesday, my instructor, who's a little bit, he's younger than me. Nice guy. He, he calls me into his office. He says, Joe, come in here for a second. And he tells me, close the door. I literally said to my, I said, oh, shit, what do I do now? You know, me and my New York mouth, right? Forget about it. So anyway, I, th- I probably said something to offend one of the country bumpkins or something probably, right? That's what I'm thinking, right? Or maybe I came off a little too, uh, you know, arrogant when it comes to investigations and things like that. So he says, no, no, close the door. He says, no, no. He goes, listen, he goes, like, what are you doing right now? What's going on? I said, well, I'm taking this class this week. No, he goes, you know, he said to me, go, like, where are you living right now? Because obviously he knew I was from New York. I said, well, I'm at my cabin, you know, Meadows of Dan. And uh, 
I'm here for a week. I got to go back to Long Island for a couple of weeks to work some cases. But, you know, I'm trying to get more work out here so I can stay more, stay out here more. He goes, all right, well, well, um, um, uh, he goes, listen, I got this case um, that I can't do. I'm tied up. I don't think that was that. I think he just didn't want to go to it because he's an hour in one direction away from me. This case was an hour on the other side of me, which would have been two hours and change from him. So that's my impression. But I don't care. He says, listen, I got this case. It's about an hour away from you. It was like an hour and five minutes. It's a three-day case, eight hours a day, workers' comp. And that's my specialty, right? I said, okay, I'll do it. So I did it for him, you know? The price was bad. It was like $20 an hour. I get $35 and $40 in New York. Minky. But you know what? I know the price is a little bit lower here in Virginia. That's really low. I was trying to get 25 out of them. He's like, no, nah, they're really not paying me that much. And I understand that too. And it turns out whatever company he was dealing with only was paying him $32. And he was paying me 20 out of that, which was fine. You know what? It was, at least it was an eight-hour day, three days. So, you know, that's like a $700 thing, right? So, sure, here I am. I go through. This was after the after the class. Class ended on a Saturday. This was like a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I could knock it out. And then I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. I went back to Long Island to work my ass off for two weeks, right? So, I do this case. This area was even, it was like my area, very remote. It was like on a, on a different mountain. I had to come off my mountain, go through another mountain, right? And it was remote. It was by some lake. And it was just ridiculous. It was a dead-end gravel road, three houses on the road. And this guy, the guy that gave me the case, I don't know what his deal is. I don't know if he's letting, you know, sometimes these insurance companies, they'll try and direct you. They'll, like, tell you how they want an investigation. I learned, I learned from day one, you don't ever let anybody tell you how to do an investigation. When I was a detective, I'd never let my my lieutenant or sergeant tell me how to do an investigation. When I was a federal agent, I never let my my idiot uh, 14 tell me how to do an investigation. You know, I did my investigation the way I wanted to protect me and my team and the integrity of the case, right? Unlike what the FBI are doing right now, right? Right? They're running amok with 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 a severe lack of integrity. I never let anybody compromise my investigation, ever. So anyway, I do this So I do this case, and, um, and so, so this guy, I guess he's used to, I don't know, because even during the class, he's like showing us videos from his cases, and he's like, yeah, you know, and, and like one case he, show, he showed us, he's literally sitting in front of some lady's house, not the target, but like a neighbor, way too close. I wouldn't even be on the block, to be honest. And he's, he's sitting on literally on this lady's property, like it was like a gravel portion in front of her house by her mailbox. And sure enough, she's calling relatives. She's you know and they're coming and like it was like I don't know I don't I don't know if this guy really knows what he's doing or what. I mean he, he sounded like he knew what he was doing, but there were a lot of things he did that I would not do as an investigator. But you know what? It is what it is, right? So he's saying how he likes to go, you know, do do half-hour drive-bys of the house or whatever. And that's to me, that's absurd. Because I'm used to, like, every hour, you just got to take a time shot. And if the, the block is not good to sit on, you got to be somewhere else. And you just take a time shot of the whatever, the nearest intersection, to prove that you're in on location, right? So with this case, it was like like I said, it was a dead-end gravel road with three houses on it, three Rumpelstiltskin houses on it. 
right? This is, you know, this part of Virginia is like the hills have eyes. You know, this ain't no joke here. Right? So, he wants me. He wants me. He Not only does he want me to get hourly shots. The girl's car was in the driveway, right? The, the girl I was following, was supposed to follow. Not only was the car in the driveway, this guy wanted me to get hourly shots of the car, the plate, and the address of the house. Like, I said, are you kidding me? I can't stop and take a picture of this lady's car in front of her house. She's going to see me. You know, I'm going to get burned from the start. So anyway, sure enough, one day, no problem. The girl didn't leave the house. Second day, didn't leave the house. I do my hourly things. I walked by a few times, drove by a few times. Either way, I, I you know, I, I, was, I was heating up the block. Either way, I know I was, right? So sure enough, the third day, third day in a row now. And again, I'm with my little Mercedes with New York plates, right? In the hills have eyes, right? You know? I mean, you know, I think I think Leatherface was living in one of the houses from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So, <laughs> so uh, sure enough, the third day, <sighs> there was only two spots to sit off the block at an intersection on the on the main road where I could at least see if she leaves her block that road, which was like on the side of another road by a stop sign. Or, again, in front of some lady's house by her mailbox, literally on her property, but her house was down the hill a little bit. So for two days, I was there, no problem. But all of a sudden, on this third day, all of a sudden, I hear, Yoo-hoo! <laughs> and I got out of the car right away. I told the lady I'm, I, that, you know, I'm a private investigator. I'm just, I'm just, I'm waiting for a car to come down the road. I didn't tell her a block or nothing. I said, I'm waiting for a car to come down the road. You know, but if you want me to, if you want me to leave, I'll leave. No problem. Yeah, I want you to leave. It's private property. All right, whatever. Southwest Virginia. No problem. I left right away. Sure enough, she calls the sheriff's anyway, the a-hole, right? So now I'm at the other, the only other spot I could be at by the stop sign by the other road, the other intersection. Two, two sheriffs pull up, one car. I identify them myself, show them whatever paperwork I have, blah, blah, blah. Tell them what I'm doing. Hopefully that they don't know who I'm looking for, right? And they're like, yeah, but you can't sit here because you're blocking the stop sign. Blocking the stop sign. I got a little Mercedes coupe. The stop sign was above my roof, but I'm not going to argue with You don't argue with other law enforcement, you know? All right. So I said, and I told him what I was doing. I said, listen, there's no place to sit on that road except in front of this abandoned cabin or shack that one sheriff knew what I was talking about. He goes, yeah, I guess you could sit there until somebody else calls. I said, all right. So I go sit there around 12 o'clock midday now, right? I'm halfway through the uh, the shift, right? I go sit there, and all of a sudden, not not I swear to God, not within five minutes, a pickup truck that I had seen come out of that block a few times, but I, it wasn't associated, as far as I knew, it wasn't associated with my target's house. He stopped, and it's, again, it's, it's really a single-lane gravel road so he stops in such a way that i can't even get out this hillbilly gets out of the truck this piece of crap pickup truck he's already missing a hand <laughs> so i'm already the hairs on the back of my neck of my bald head are, are, are standing up again right already he gets out the next guy that gets out is the target's son who's like 20 something years old who i already had a picture of and then some other country idiot gets out of the truck so now there's three guys that get out of the truck you know and they, i don't want to say they surrounded me but it was almost like that right 
right away, get out of the car. And I, I wasn't sure if that was a truck I'd seen before a few times. I don't know if it was a utility truck and or it was part of this abandoned shack that I was in, literally in the front, in the front of. He says, uh, "I said, oh, you need to get in here. I, you know, I could just leave." He goes, "No, no, no." He goes, "I seen you. I seen you in the area for for a couple of days now. What's what's going on, right?" And then at that time, the son gets out of the car. He goes, "He goes, yeah. What's going on here?" He goes, uh, "My neighbor says that they saw you walking past my house." You know, I'm trying to get out of this thing in, in in every way possible. Like, listen, I don't even know who you are. What you're talking about? And I gave him some BS story. They didn't go for it. And they said they're gonna call the chef. I said, "All right, good. Call the chef." You know, and I knew that they, you know, they already saw me. They knew what I was doing, so I wasn't worried. So now I'm getting a little nervous because in this area too, there's bad, there's no like cell reception. So I was afraid that they weren't able to even contact the chef, and then they're kind of not letting me leave. So I get out of the car nicely. I said, "Did you have a chance to call the get a connection, call the chef?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah." He goes, "I said because again, you know, I, I must offer like five times. Listen." I understand. If, if you want, I'll leave. I got no problem. He goes, no, no, no. We're calling the chef. I said, all right, no problem. I said, I'm just letting you know you're not letting me leave. No, no, you can leave. I said, no, no, I can't get around you without going down this ravine. So I'm just letting, and I recorded this conversation too. I said, I'm just letting you know that you're not letting me leave. So I just don't want this to be a problem for you. I don't want to see you get arrested for unlawful imprisonment. So I'm glad he called the sheriff. So I got back in my car. I called the sheriff's department. I told him the situation. I'm a PI in the area. I got burned, and these guys aren't letting me leave. They said, no, sheriffs are on the way. So thank God sheriffs were cool. They came. Same two guys from before, plus their sergeant, and they, they let me leave gracefully, and I lost a half a day on that case. But you know what? It was a stupid case to begin with. It really was. It was such a... I mean, I believe me, I have no great hopes of doing, doing surveillances here in, in Virginia, in my part of Virginia. It's too remote. You know, I mean, it's bad enough on Long Island. Everyone's hyped up ever since uh, George Floyd. You know, neighbors are calling, you know, police left and right when they see a strange car on the block. Now, imagine in, in where I'm in remotely where there's like, you know, you're an odd car on the road. That's crazy. So even if I had, even if I had my, my Chevy Silverado truck with Virginia plates, I'd still stand out because I, I don't belong in that area. You know? So I don't know how this is going to pan out, you know, this... Uh, the surveillance is here. I might have to do some other kind of PI type casework or like just other kinds of investigations. But I don't see me doing a lot of workers' comp fraud stuff here in Virginia. Honestly, I really don't. Unless it's maybe in Roanoke, you know, in the, in the, in the bigger or in the smaller cities, you know. But in these local towns, forget about it. So, anyway, I did that case. You know, I'm still waiting to get paid for it. Went back to Long Island, busted my ass for two weeks. Now I'm in Virginia, relaxing, had a great birthday. I just, I mean, my guy, I just accomplished so much in these last two weeks. Selling my car back, getting my truck back, getting my cabin back. I mean, just things are good right now. I'm so, so excited. Things are good. I just got to start, keep bringing in some money, you know, because I'm cranking up the credit again. You know, a zero-turn mower last month and, you know, $3,000 down for my son's car. You know, plus I killed a lot of my savings um, with the negative equity on the Mercedes when I sold that back. So I got a good minimum six months of working my ass off just to even recover from uh, this financial hit I've been taking. But hey, that's life, right? Maybe when that's all done, maybe I could then go to Italy and celebrate my my 60 and a half birthday. <laughs>
But um, the point is, you gotta, you really gotta stick your neck out. Like it's good that you know this guy, my instructor from this class, apparently thought enough of me to give me a case. Maybe he'll give me some other cases. I don't know. I really don't care. But um, you know, it's good sticking your neck out. It's good to meet people. You gotta meet people and get out there. And um, if there's something you're looking to do. You just got to get out there. Simple as that. You cannot sit home or sit in your cabin or sit on the front porch and expect, you know, socially people to knock on your door or, you know, business-wise people to knock on your door. You got to get out. So, you know, I'm enjoying Virginia a lot more because, A, my son's out of the cabin, who, you know, I told you before was a nightmare. Um, And, B... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm get I'm getting out more too. I'm going to like Winston Salem a couple times to hang out. Roanoke, it was nice being in Roanoke for this class. I got a chance to hang out there a few nights. You know, so it's good that it. I'm enjoying the the place a lot more, even though it's remote where I'm at. You know, I'm still again not not that far from a small city where there's there's you know signs of life. So it's good now I'm getting out, but I'm excited about slowly trying to learn how my goal now my goal now is I'll probably start once I finish this um, executive this armed executive protection course with the armed enhancement so I could be like an armed bodyguard so once I finish that course that's a 10 day course coming up soon once I finish that between that and the, and the PI thing I will I'll be able to generate some work out here which is good I don't need a lot to sustain this cab in this property um, but my goal, my goal now, my two short-term goals are this, to, to register as a business, as, um, to do the PI and executive protection stuff and start, you know, working, maybe generating my own clients, things like that. And also I want to learn, take my time, it might take like six months to a year, but I want to learn how to develop this property because I really do have a beautiful property. I want to learn how to develop it and maybe generate enough money on a regular basis from this property to sustain the property. The property, honestly, with taxes and everything, is like 2500 or under, which is not a lot. That's like the price of an apartment on Long Island, so it's not a lot. So if I could generate, I, the old goal is not to work to generate that money. That's just for fun money. The goal is I'd like to generate money from the property itself to uh, cover that 2500 And there's some things I could do, but i got to learn more. You know, I could raise cattle, right? And you laugh, but this could be a ranch. This could be a farm. It's 65 acres of beautiful acres, you know, wooded. I have a water source, a nice stream. I have a pond. I have one, two, three open pastures of like five to ten acres each you know so I got a good about 20 to 25 acres of pasture I have no fencing though so that's an issue but I can raise cattle I just don't know what the end game is for that I gotta learn you know I don't want to raise cattle and then have to go send it off to an auction I might want to raise cattle and then like you know sell it to a, like a, a, a like let's say a company that will slaughter them whatever the case may be right or I could raise what's called feeder cattle. Raising cattle, like you have to raise them for a year or so, you know, deal with them throughout the winter, feed them, all that stuff, right? 
feeder cattle, from what I hear, you just have them for like three or four months, like the spring to the winter, the spring to the fall type thing. Where you, I guess you fatten them up to whatever, three, four hundred pounds, something like that, and then you again either sell them at auction, which I don't want to do, or sell it to an end user, right? And then I just got to feed them and take care of them for a few months. That's an option. I don't have to worry about them surviving the winter. You know, that's an option. You know, one guy told me, why don't you, you know, do orchards, nut trees, fruit trees, but that's long term. I don't want to do that. Sounds nice, but I'm, I want to start making money like within a year. You know, I can raise chickens, broiler chickens, and sell them for, you know, people who want to eat chickens. Or I could raise chickens for eggs like I started doing a few months ago. I would like to do that again just for my benefit, though. Um, you know, I mean, I could do sheep, I guess. I mean, I got to learn, you know. I don't want to get involved in crops or anything like that because I'm not, I don't think, I, you know, I don't think I'm, I'm going to figure that one out, honestly. Another option is maybe, I was thinking, but again, I got to do the research. I got to see if there's a need. I, in one of my pastures, it's like five acres, a beautiful rectangular with rolling hills. It's a really nice piece. That I would like to, like, I was thinking maybe putting up a prefab horse stall or horse barn, like four stalls or eight stalls or five or ten, whatever, and rent out the stalls monthly to people that need a place to keep their horse. You know, maybe create an open ring that they could exercise or open fence fields that they could exercise. Uh, or that they could graze and then a ring for them to exercise them or even a covered ring in the fall and winter maybe that they could, you know, exercise their horses, um, whatever. Um, I don't know if there's a need for that here. I'm not sure. There might be other horse farms where there's not, you know, where there's, there's no immediate need. Um, but I probably will meet with maybe the Virginia Farm Bureau because in addition to making income and developing the property, I do, part of me wants to, I want to serve a need in the community or the county or the state, right? Or even in the country. Because, you know, supposedly we're, we're coming up against a food shortage. A water shortage, a food shortage, you know, things like that. So I want to be, I'm cognizant of that. I want to learn a little bit more about that. You know, if I can be part of maybe providing something for, you know, the American citizens, you know, in the years to come where there might be a need, whether it's, you know, food in the way of cattle or whatever, I would like to find out. I'd like to do that. From what I understand, you know, the Chinese are buying up farmland like crazy in America, and that, that's not going to benefit us. I'm pretty sure about that. Um, I understand Bill Gates is like the largest owner of farmland also in the United States and I don't know I don't think that's going to go well you know and I forget who said it I just heard it the other day was it Kissinger Henry Kissinger I don't remember but somebody said years ago that whoever control controls the food controls the people and you know I'm a little nervous about that I'm not a you know I'm not a doomsdayer Although, what's interesting is the guy that that owns the school where I took my PI course, he's a big, like, what's called a prepper or a doomsday prepper. Apparently, they're all over the country. I, know, I guess they're here big in Virginia, West Virginia, 
where people are like, regardless of the size of their property, they have like bunkers on their property. Like they're literally preparing for the apocalypse, you know, which doesn't sound so weird right these days, but they've got bunkers with food already stored, um, you know, ventilated where there's fresh air. They, they're saving water. Um, they're learning how to grow their own stuff. They're helping each other in, this, in these prepping communities. You know, they're helping each other, you know, practice shooting, getting fully armed, um, you know, uh, raising their own chickens and creating their own water sources. And there are people around the country that are doing this and, you know, they're, they're doing it for a reason. You know, I'm not the I'm not a sky is falling kind of guy, but you know what? In today's climate, and as far as being armed, I mean, uh, you know, clearly the powers that be want to take our guns away. That's not good. And it seems to me that, from what I'm hearing and listening to on different podcasts and news channels, that it seems like. You know, ammunition, since they can't control the guns, really, that's not really panning out for the powers that be. Although Governor Hochul is doing a great job in New York controlling everybody's guns. But um, it seems like the powers that be really can't take our guns as much as they're trying. They're, they're, I think they're, they're actually trying to take ammunition off the market. Like, for example, what, the IRS just bought thousands or millions of rounds of ammunition, you know, for their supposed new force that they're creating. And also, it's interesting, I heard someone mention on one of the podcasts, a legitimate podcast, that that he was a, he's an ammunition supplier, and there's only, I guess, like two or three of them in the country, that apparently ammunition suppliers have been losing shipments of ammunition like thousands of, of of dollars worth of ammunition or maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars of ammunition via UPS and UPS is they, they, they just lost it the shipment they're saying they don't know where it went that strikes me as odd especially being a postal a former postal inspector that strikes me as very odd so I wouldn't be surprised if someone made a call to the head of UPS and said, you know what? We need to start taking any ammunition that comes across your path. We need to start making it disappear. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I think in the last few weeks, we've, we've all seen a lack of integrity at its, at its lowest in government. And again, look, I've never been anti-government. I was a federal agent years and you know local government federal government and um, now I honestly see why people are so anti-government I really do I see it and there are people that are just rising you know getting ready to rise up and there's a reason for it and look look at the open look I don't want to get too political but look at the open border that we have now we actually we don't even have a border so People like you and I, when maybe, unless you're in Texas or Arizona, you're not seeing the effects of this. 
and only like DC and New York are starting to see it because the the illegal immigrants are, are getting bust there, which I think is hysterical because that they're all for sanctuary cities, right? But now they don't want it because it's happening. So, you know, we haven't seen yet. I think we're, you know, six months to a year or two away of now of starting to see the immigrants now, these illegal aliens in your town, in your backyard, on your property. Even apparently the Texas ranchers are seeing them just on their property. Like, I would die if people started walking on my property. I would go out of my mind. I would, my attitude would be like, shoot first and ask questions later. Seriously. And I'm sure the rest of, a lot of, big part of America is like that. So, I got a funny feeling that things are going to get real ugly real fast. So, I highly recommend, you know, trying to, to do whatever you can to self-sustain and protect yourself. I really do believe that. You know, I don't want to be all doomsday, but I don't know. Just things are not going well. Not at all. I mean, you know, 75% of the, the, the country now are unhappy with the direction we're going in. I don't know. I don't want to be all doom and gloom and negative, but I'm really concerned. I'm concerned about, you know, what's gonna, what's coming in the next year or two, really. Um, I'm very concerned. So, anywho, I had a great birthday, and uh, I'm excited. I love being 60. Again, I told you 50 sucked. I love being 60. So, um, thanks for listening. This is Angelo Q. Until next time.